Thank you so much, band. Uh, I kind of, I'm kind of wondering what I'm, what I'm doing up here right now because I could just keep doing that for a long time. That was awesome, you guys. My name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors here. Not the normal teaching pastor. That's this guy who's been tearing it up on the base for us tonight. Starting tonight and for the next two weeks, myself along with two of the other elders, Chase and Adam, are going to be doing a little series through Psalms to give Josh some much deserved uh, rest and time off. Uh, so like I said, we're going to be going through a couple of books in Psalms. The, the books aren't going to really be connected together. We had the liberty to choose what we wanted to. And at first I was pretty, uh, I guess, overwhelmed by having to choose from one of 150 Psalms. That's a lot to narrow it down. And I, uh, I was just thinking through and praying, you know, Lord, what do you have for tonight? And I was just looking at so many different things. And I, I think the thing that he's led me to is the topic uh, of how we can come up here on Sundays and talk about the Lord breaking the chains and the Lord freeing us from these things. And on Sundays, it feels amazing. But on a Wednesday, we kind of struggle to, we struggle to go there. We struggle to live in the freedom of him having broken the chains and breaking us from the bondage of the sin that holds us or that we think holds us because we are free from it. Uh, so I, I've been kind of thinking through these, through that thought for a while now, and I've talked to a couple of you guys, and I, I know that some of you are thinking some of the same things, and I think this psalm, I think it really helps place some imagery for us to see and live from the fact that Jesus truly did break those chains. So you can go ahead and go to Psalm 52. Psalm 52. I'm going to give a little bit of background that leads up to this psalm as you're turning there, and then we'll get into it. So this is a psalm that David wrote. At the time, Saul was still the king, and um, he had started to pursue and chase after David because he wanted to kill David. See, uh, David, going back to the time that he fought Goliath, since then and moving forward, he had started having some incredible favor from the Lord. He had been placed as a chief in some of Saul's armies and had started to have success after success. And the people of Israel really started to love and favor David. And so Saul began to grow very bitter. And he began to, uh, to think that the people were going to overthrow him and replace him with David. So uh, at this point, Saul had tried to place David in front of an army that, in a battle that he should have lost. And he didn't lose. Yeah, he kicked some butt in that, in that battle. And then another time later, they were back in the palace and Saul had enough and actually tried to throw a spear at David, but David got away and, uh, and fled. So a couple more things happened, but right now David realizes that Saul is coming after him and that he really does want to kill him. And so he ends up at this village called Nob. And that's where this psalm takes place. That's uh, N-O-B. And um, something tragic happens here. When David gets to this village of Nob, it's kind of a small village comprised of uh, mostly priests and their families. It's a, it's a centrally located village so that the people wouldn't have to travel as far to go to places of worship. 
So when David gets to the village of Nob, he goes and talks to the chief priest Amalek. And he tells Amalek that he's on the secret mission from Saul and that he had to leave very hastily and he happened to forget his uh, food and sword and all that kind of stuff. So he asked uh, Amalek if he can have some bread. And the priest tells him that the only bread he has is this bread called the bread of the presence. It was meant only for the priest and it was very specific and he shouldn't have really given it to David. But David kind of talks him into giving him that bread. And then... Um, he also asked him for a sword, but since it's a town of just priests, they, they weren't really going to be in battle or anything like that. He said they didn't have any swords, but they did have, they didn't have swords for themselves, but they did have one sword and it happened to be Goliath's sword. So Amalek gives the sword to Goliath, I mean, gives Goliath's sword to David. And then after this, David takes the bread, takes the sword, and then goes on to the next town. But while all this was happening, there's a guy there named Doeg the Edomite. And if you see the chapter title, that's kind of who David is writing the psalm to. Doeg was watching this whole thing happen. There's kind of some controversy in history of what Edomite meant, but for the sake of tonight, we're going to really hone in on the fact that Doeg was someone who did not love the Lord, and Doeg was someone who didn't love the Lord's people. And so he was going to do whatever it took to get himself to where he wanted to be. Okay, so Doeg watches this happen between David and Amalek. And he goes back to where Saul is because he's one of Saul's men. Uh, it calls him chiefs, um, Saul's chief herdsman. And basically, again, there's some more controversy, but we think it means that he's kind of a hired gun. He's a mercenary that Saul has hired to handle, handle some, pretty, um, some pretty tough stuff. So Doeg goes back to where Saul is camped because remember Saul is chasing David. And whenever Doeg gets there, Saul is telling his men, he's like, why are you guys all conspiring against me, trying to replace David with me and all this, me with David? And he's, he's accusing them of doing all that stuff. And, you know, they're kind of taken aback. And he's like, why won't anybody tell me where David is? You all know, you're all on his side. And Doeg comes in and he says, I know where David is. He's like, I just saw him back at the town in Nob. And you know what he was doing? He was working with the priests and those priests were helping him. Those priests were inquiring of the Lord on his behalf. That meant that they were praying and asking God what David should do and getting away from Saul. And so that's, that's not true. That's not really what was happening. The priests didn't know what was going on. You know, they thought that uh, David was on this secret mission. So he says these things and it infuriates Saul. He has all the priests of the village of Nob brought to his camp. That's 85 priests who were there. And then once they get there, he starts accusing them of committing treason. Basically, he's, he's telling them, why have you done this? Why are you, why are you helping David instead of helping me? And they, they tried to say that they were innocent in the whole situation. And they didn't know what was going on. Saul doesn't believe him. So Saul turns to his men, who were Israelites, and tells them to turn on the priests and to kill them all. And his men are Israelites who love the Lord. And, and they, didn't, they didn't want any part of that. They said, no, I'm, we're not going to do it. So then he turns to Doeg, his guy, his mercenary. He says, you take him out. You kill him. So Doeg agrees. And right then and there, he kills all 85 priests. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes back to the town of Nob, and he finishes off their families and their livestock. Except one of the sons of the priests escapes, and he flees to where David is, and he tells David what happened. And, uh, and then David writes this psalm. 
in response to that series of events. So hopefully you're all turned there. Psalm 52. We're going to go ahead and read the whole thing. It's, it's nine verses. And then we'll get into it. Okay, so starting in verse 1. It says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor. You worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. So in this story, we can see that Doeg was David's enemy. David's response to his enemy was to write the psalm in kind of three main sections. The first thing he does is he acknowledged who his enemy was and kind of what his enemy was all about. The second thing he does is he acknowledged who God was in the situation. And the third thing he did is he acknowledged who he was and who he is in the situation. And just like David, we also have an enemy coming against us. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be replacing Doeg in the story with the the lies that our enemy comes at us with. Uh, you know, we don't really have someone who killed an entire village on our behalf, thankfully. Um, But the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that we're not fighting a war of just flesh and blood, that we're fighting against evil and dark spirits, these things that are coming at us. So again, as we go through this, we're going to be replacing Doeg and inserting the lies that we deal with every day. We're going to try and mimic the way that David views the situation. Okay, so let's jump into what's going to be our point one, and it's acknowledge the lies Acknowledge the lies. Let's read verses 1 through 4 again. It says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Okay, so that first line in verse 1 where it says, why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? What David's doing is he's kind of calling out and mocking Doeg when he calls him mighty man. Mighty man kind of translates to what we would say, maybe big shot. So he's saying, who do you think you are, you know, you big shot? You just took down an entire village of people who couldn't even defend themselves. He's like, do you think that you've done anything noble or good uh, in the name of Saul? Uh, you know, he's like, the priests didn't even know what was going on, and uh, they had no way of, to defend themselves. So you, you didn't do anything good in the situation. Saul may still be king, but Saul's not going to have the final say. And then he goes in to that second line of verse 1, where he says, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. David is saying here, he's saying, you're not going to shake me, because God's steadfast love continually surrounds me. He said, you may have had a small victory today, but you're not going to ultimately win. God will outlive you and he will right this wrong. Uh, 
That's a pretty incredible first line in, uh, in this. If that had happened to me, I don't think that that would have been my first one. I think I would have uh, probably turned myself in or run and hit or something along those lines. But David stands up because he believes in who God is. Okay, keep going. Verse 2. He says, your tongue plots destruction. He says, you're not only a liar, but you lie with the intent of death and destruction. David is telling Doeg, he said, you hated me and the priest of God, and you were going to destroy who was ever in your path. So in a second, we're going to look at an example, or a couple of examples of these same lies that we're trying to replace Doeg with. Uh, these same lies that come at us for the purpose of death and destruction. Let's keep going in verse 2 where it says, like a sharp razor. See, a razor isn't something that is used with the force and presence of like an axe for chopping wood. A razor is useful for precision. So uh, David is acknowledging that Doeg told Saul these lies that would push Saul's fury over the edge. And our enemy does the same thing with us. He slowly whispers these subtle lies to us in an attempt to push us away from the grace and truth of Jesus. He doesn't always come at us with his full force because I think we'd see it coming and we'd resist it more often. But he slips these subtle things in. And that's what what David's getting at. Line three of verse two where it says, worker of deceit. David is acknowledging that Doeg made his business out of being a liar. He had the intent to ruin the image-bearing people of God. This wasn't an accident. Uh, This was intentionally planned and thought out, and he said whatever he needed to to bring his enemy down. Okay, again, so our enemy, I mean, our, our issues aren't the same as having someone kill an entire village, but we do have an enemy, and we know what his goals are. He's not always trying to get us to sin more and to become bad people but he's trying to shift our eyes from Jesus. He doesn't want us to know the steadfast and the beautiful and the saving love of Jesus. He doesn't want us to have restored relationships. He doesn't want us to see, he doesn't want to see us stand strong in the chaos of life. Because the more we're able to do those things and the more we're able we're able to follow Jesus, the more we're going to tell people, the more we're going to bring people with us in that victory through Jesus. Okay, so let's look at some of these examples of lies that are thrown at us to divert our eyes from Jesus. Okay, so let's think about maybe a long-term sin pattern or addiction that we can't seem to shake. Have you ever heard the lying tongue of an enemy, of our enemy, tell you that you're too weak and powerless to stop? Have you ever felt like God has stopped loving you because you think that he thinks you're a failure? Maybe you want to stop these things and you don't know how. And so it's led to battling these things for so long. And maybe you started to believe that you really are stuck in them. Doesn't this sound like an enemy who is a worker of deceit using the same language that David did? Doesn't this sound like intentional lies that the enemy is bringing at you to try and cripple you? Another example. What about destructive or broken relationships? Have you ever felt like you'd be completely lost without that boy or girl in your life? Even if you know the relationship's bad for you, you're afraid that you'd be nobody without that person. 
And so you convince yourself and you stay in that. Do you hear the lie in that? What about a conflict between a friend or a family member? Maybe you feel the relationship is too far gone to be restored. See, to me, this sounds like a tongue that is plotting destruction against you and the other person in that, in that conflict. Because our enemy loves broken relationships. What about insecurities? Have you ever walked into this room? You know, the place where you're supposed to, to feel the most loved, the most cared for. And have you ever felt like nobody even wanted to talk to you? Have you ever believed that nobody would miss you if you stopped coming around? Or what about just in general? Do you feel like nobody even sees you? See, these are lies that are coming at you because Satan doesn't want you to see Jesus or the people that he's placed intentionally in your life. What about work and school? When I was in college, some of my friends would have said that I was probably the hardest worker they'd ever seen. And I did work hard because I wasn't very good at school. But I was really a slave to my schedule. I had started saying the things on my to-do list were more important than the relationships around me. There was a couple of semesters, probably more than half of my semesters in school, where for the last month of every semester I stopped going to church because I, I said finals were too important. And so I, just, I, would, I would not come here or anything like that. What about for the financial providers in the home? Do you ever get an overwhelming sense of anxiety when the thought of failing pops into your mind? Has this led to an extraordinary amount of pressure to succeed? In, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus tells us that if we steward the things that he's given us, that he's going to take care of us. We were telling that story to our two-year-old Emma the other day that God takes care of the flowers and the birds. And it's hitting me like a ton of bricks because I'm the one who's trying to take care of everything. Last one. What about in the case of physical sickness and the lies we feel in regards to being sick? Maybe you feel like God really isn't present in your life if you get sick. Maybe you, you think that God doesn't care about healing us anymore. That that was just a thing that happened in the Bible time to make a nice story. Maybe you started to believe that. Maybe you've gone through this battle with sickness long enough that you've lost your hope and your sense of purpose in general. See, I am, and I know this church is a strong advocate believing that Jesus can and wants to heal you. It may not happen in the timeline that you want to, but we believe it's true. But we also understand that this world is broken and being sick is one of the hardest parts about it, but Jesus is with us 100% of the time. But we go through these things that tell us that God doesn't care, that he's pushed us to the side, he doesn't want anything to do with us because of these circumstances that have happened to us. I feel like we could go on and on listing some of those things out. And these are just a few examples of the lies that have the same exact root of brokenness and destruction behind them that David dealt with with Doeg. As we start to notice the lies for what they are, we start to see what they're doing to us. These lies are slowly and surely pulling our hope from Jesus and they isolate us away from our community. So let's work to develop the same language and the same stance that David took towards his enemy. Let's acknowledge the lies for what they are and fight to not let them sink in and define us. 
Okay, so that's the first point that we're going to look at. The first thing that David went through in this was acknowledging the lies. The second point is acknowledge the truth about God. Acknowledge the truth about God. Let's read verses 5 through 7 again. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Okay, so that first line in verse 5 where it says, But God. We just stop right there. So after David acknowledges his enemy, he doesn't go on to say, And I'm coming after you, you fool. I'm going to take you out. He doesn't say that. His first thing is to say, but this is who God is in the situation. I'm terrible at doing that. And this is really good for me to see. See, what what he does is he acknowledges God's presence in this situation. And he's going to start listing what he believes God can do in the situation. That first line in verse 5 says, but God will break you down forever. And for us, so David's talking to Doeg, but again, we're talking to the lies in in our enemy. See, break you down forever, that's an everlasting and total destruction. The other day, this, this wasp flew into our house, and I tried to smash it with a rag, because I didn't want to fling this rag, fling this wasp and hit somebody. And I smushed it against the wall, and I pulled the rag off, and I didn't smush the wasp, and it was still buzzing around, and so I'm trying to smash this thing. That's not what's happening here. David is describing, when he says, break you down forever, he's going to crush you, and he's going to completely demolish you. That second line where he says, he will snatch and tear you from your tent. So a tent is a place we seek refuge. It's kind of like our homes. It's where we seek security. And when he says snatch and tear, he's like, the Lord is going to forcibly pull you out of the place that you've made your home. It's kind of like the movies with the SWAT team, busting down the door, coming in, tackling the guy, ripping him out. The guy has no chance because the SWAT team's coming in there and he's taking him out. That's what David is saying, and that's what we believe that the Lord is going to do to these lies, to these things that we're battling. That third line in verse 5, he says, Uproot you from the land of the living. David is saying that God's not going to just trim him back and prune his bushes. He's not going to just spray Roundup on these leaves, but he's going to reach down and rip it out. Land of the living means from life in general. David could not have described a more thorough destruction. And that's the same thing we believe that God is going to do to, these, to the sin one day. There's going to come a time when the Lord officially takes care of all these things. We don't know when it's going to be or if it's going to be in our lifetime or, or in the timeline that we want. But there's going to come a day when there's no more sickness. There's no more shame or guilt. There's no more addiction or brokenness. There's no more anxieties or insecurities. So what David, in his words, he would have said, one day God will come and uproot these things from our life forever. But see, the difference between David and us is that we are on this side of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he broke our bondage to sin and fear. These things no longer have control over us. Romans chapter 8, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read this really quick. It says, and because you belong to Jesus... The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you 
from the power of sin that leads to death. Freed you. Not kind of let you out, but completely freed you. And so this goes back to the very beginning of what I was saying. This is the thing that I'd kind of been struggling with a little bit. I believe this, and I know that Jesus did this for us, but sometimes I feel like it's hard to walk this out and to actually live in this. And so the question is, is why doesn't it always feel that way? Why doesn't it always feel like the Lord has really freed us from these things when these lies keep coming back up against us? This sermon can't really tackle all angles of that question because that's a pretty complex one. But I think that one thing that, uh, that we have to look at, one part of the equation, is that we're believing these lies that the enemy is throwing at us. We tell ourselves, if God loved me, these things wouldn't happen to me. See, so just like a, uh, the sharp razor in verse 2, the enemy is slipping his tiny feet into our tough situations and he is subtly whispering lie after lie. These things happen to us and he sneaks in and he's going to tell us these things to bring us down. Over time, we may have lost sight of how Jesus is currently working. David was looking to a future time of how the Lord was going to take care of it. But sometimes we forget how Jesus is currently working with us. We let the lies of, an en- of our enemy have a louder voice than we should. Jesus is saying that there's no shame or guilt coming from him. He's not mad at us. He's not mad at you. We struggle to believe these things, but he doesn't want us to remain stuck in it. So one more thing I want us to do before we move on to that third section is to go back to that, uh, that part in verse 5. He said, but God will. This isn't a fingers crossed kind of statement. This isn't a hoping that God's going to just somehow get his act together and take care of things. That's not what David's doing here. David has an extraordinary amount of confidence in God. He had, David had grown up hearing about the stories of God, but he was really starting to see these things happen for himself. So up to this point, we know that David had beaten Goliath. We know that David had been given favor in Saul's palace and all that kind of stuff. We had seen him win countless battle after battle. And so far, he's escaped with his life twice. So David has confidence that the Lord has worked in his life, and that gives him confidence for what the Lord is going to do. He had concrete things that he could look back on. And we have those things too. Here are just a couple of examples from things that have happened in this body. Things that we can look back to and say, this is a way that the Lord has moved for us in the past. Things that can give us confidence as well. One thing I was thinking of is from the flood, I guess almost a year ago now, he woke people up in the middle of the night. And they shouldn't have normally just been up in the middle of the night to let them know that water was coming in their house. Another thing was, still in the flood, people had boats show up on their front doorstep, empty, right when they needed to, to get people out just in time. That doesn't just happen. That's the Lord moving in our lives. We have stories from this body of people who were sick and known they were sick and the doctors knew they were sick and they went for checkups and the stuff was gone. Again, that doesn't just happen. Sickness just doesn't magically magically poof and go away. The Lord does that stuff. Another, the other one I was thinking of is there have been family members and friends that we have prayed for for years and years come to the Lord. We've seen it happen over and over again. 
Again, that stuff doesn't just happen. The Lord has moved. So to summarize kind of the second point, we don't know when or how he'll fix it, but Jesus has utterly broken our bondage to sin and guilt and fear. If we're willing, Jesus will get in the yoke with us, like he says, and he'll lead us through these tough situations. We can reflect on the things that he's done, these mountains that he's moved in the past as a way to show us how he's actually working with us today. Okay, so the third point that I want to talk about. Acknowledge the truth of who you are. Acknowledge the truth of who you are. Let's read verses 8 through 9. 8 and 9. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Okay, so in verse 8, when David's saying that he is a green olive tree, the green olive tree represents a symbol of life and fruitfulness and vitality in the midst of crazy stuff going on. It's contrasting the differences between David and Doeg. See, Doeg was building his house on the things that led to death. He was building his house on things that wouldn't last. He was building his house on knowledge and wisdom. We know that about him from history, that he was a scholar and that he had, he had really excelled, but he was not a good person. He was an evil man. And this is contrasting the difference because uh, Doeg's way of life was leading to death and destruction. But David is saying that he is firmly planted within the walls of God's house. And kind of just sitting through and thinking about being planted in in God's house and just what that actually looks like. uh, I was thinking about kind of how a tree is actually anchored to the ground. I know that's kind of a random thought, but I was sitting there thinking, I was like, what holds the tree? Is it the roots that hold themselves to the ground, or is it more of the ground that hold the roots? And I'm sure it's a little bit of both, of course, but I was still thinking about it, and there's one time where we, we dug up this tree in our backyard, this big tree bush thing, and we, we moved it to another part of the yard, and it still had some roots on it. And if you were to set that tree or that bush just on the ground, those roots would be useless because the tree would just fall completely over. Right, You have to dig a hole, you have to put the tree in there, and you have to come in and you have to pack the soil around the roots. As soon as you do this, the tree can instantly stand. It doesn't take a year before it can finally stand up. See, this is how God is with us. The chaos of life can be just raging around us, but the Lord has a firm hold on us. Again, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that he is sure that neither death nor life, and he goes on to list all these things, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not because of how good we are at holding on to God, but how good God is at holding on to us. And David is saying that he is planted. In verse 8, when it says, when David says, I will trust in the steadfast love of God, he's saying, I will trust the steadfast love of God will hold me 
forever and ever. See, the gospel that we believe, it says that we, when we believe in Jesus, we believe the price that he paid on the cross for us. We believe that he rose again after three days. It's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing as this. We believe that we are planted on the outside of God's fence and Jesus walks over and he takes his shovel and he starts digging around where we were planted and where we were planted is in the rocky soil, the things that we thought would bring life, but they're leading to death. And Jesus digs around and he separates us from the hold that the world has on us. This is going back to that, that, that verse in Romans that I was talking about, the Lord freeing and breaking those chains. He's taking his shovel and he's separating the hold of the soil from us. And what he does is he picks us up and he walks back over to God, God's house, and he goes through the open gate at God's garden and he digs a hole and he plants us and he starts holding on to us. See, we're not completely separated from the problems, from these lies, because I think it's kind of the same thing as saying that the enemy is still shooting arrows over the fence at us. And these things hurt, but it's not the same thing as being tied to them the way we were before. The way we were before, the soil was holding on to us. But now, the Lord is holding on to us. And these arrows are coming over and they're sticking in sometimes and they hurt. And they're there for a long time. But what Jesus does is he walks over and he breaks it out. He says, you're not tied to that anymore. So whenever we think about and we sing these songs about Jesus breaking these chains, we are completely separated from those things. They don't have the hold that they once did. Verse nine says, I will thank you forever because you have done it. See what he's saying? He's saying he's thanking the Lord for saving him and transplanting him. Something that the Lord did. Trees don't just plant themselves. Someone planted him and the Lord planted David in his house. Still in verse nine. He says, I will wait for your name, for it is good. So tomorrow morning, you may wake up and that same old lie is whispering to you, telling you these things about these relationships or these insecurities or a slew of things, some of the ones we mentioned or maybe some that are completely different. But this time you hear that lie and you don't panic because you remember that the Lord is holding you. You call that lie out for what it is. You call it out for the death and destruction that it is. You let the Holy Spirit remind you that he's holding you, that he's held you in the past and that he's going to keep holding you. You let him tell you that our father is a good father who loves having a strong grasp on you. You focus on sinking your roots deeper and deeper into his love and into the things of God And he's going to take care of making you grow stronger through it. That's not something that we have to do. And then the last thing in verse 9, when it says, you do all of this in the presence of the godly. This means you look around and you notice who's in the garden with you. You notice that you're not standing alone. Sticking with that same image of kind of a tree, I was thinking about 
some of those big live oak trees that you see growing close together and their branches are kind of all mashed up together and their roots are kind of just all gnarly and, and mashed together. I think that's how it is with us. I think the Lord has intentionally placed us so that our lives cross paths. And we can see the things that the Lord is doing in each other's lives as a way to give us strength for what he's going to do in our life. Again, about the flood. My house didn't flood, but man, my strength was, my, my, my faith was strengthened because of what he did through you guys, seeing how he took care of every single one of you. That was so good for me. I have no clue how long that took. I meant to time it. But the band can go ahead and come back up. What's it been, like 10 minutes? <laughs> you can all stay seated. The band's going to come back up. I don't know where this lands with you tonight, but I know it's given me the perspective that I needed to see how present the Lord really is. He's helped give me imagery to think back on to see and pay attention to how good he is to us. He's helped, he's helped me see that the enemy is present and that he's also working against us. But he's, he's showing me that the Lord has a strong grasp on us. And he's shown me that he's going to continue working and he's given me the ability to look in the past to see what the Lord's done for us as a way to see what he's going to do so at the end of this, we're going to respond the way we always do. Communion's going to be open, and we're going to say the same things we always say. And it's the kind where you rip off the piece of bread and you dunk it in that juice. And I'm going to say the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. The altar is open if you want to take some time to just come pray about anything. There's a station over here where you can come write down prayer requests. There's a team of people that get these emails on Monday. And we love joining in, knowing what's going on in your life. There's also uh, a section where you can give financially to tithe and respond to what the Lord's doing in your life. So before we do that, though, I want to just take a couple of minutes to just pray through and process through some of these things before we move in straight to responding. Because through this psalm, David's kind of given us the language and the way to process these things before we move on to steps. So you can get in whatever posture is most comfortable for you if that's just sitting or kneeling or standing. Join with me as we pray. Let's start by asking the Holy Spirit to reveal any lies that you've been believing. Ask him to help you see the deception and destruction in these lies. Ask him to show you that his love continually surrounds you and that you're not shaken. Spirit to reveal how he has complete control over the situation, that one day he will completely destroy the root of that lie. Ask Jesus to bring to mind a way that he's moved in your life in the past, as a way to help you see that he is actively working today. Thank him for that work.
thanking you for not giving up on you despite the way you feel. severing the hold of the enemy. Ask him to help you notice the people in your life that he's connected you with. Ask him to strengthen you and give you hope for the future. tonight and you realize that you've never believed in Jesus you see that you're planted in a place outside of his garden you see that you're building your life on a foundation that will let you down and through the songs and the scriptures you see that Jesus gave his life to make a way for you a way for you to be brought into his kingdom in your own words ask Jesus to come and dig you up ask him to pick you up and take you and replant you in his garden to give you a new life tell him that you're on board with who he is and that you want to follow him you want to follow him to a place that leads from death to life Jesus thank you so much for for who you are to us Thank you for being alive. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for this scripture where we can look and see how David had confidence in you. Give us that same confidence. Thank you for relocating us from a place that led to death and stably planting us in your kingdom, a place that is full of life and fruit. Thank you, Jesus, that even though the storms of life can be raging around us, that we can be green trees that aren't shaken. Not because we hold ourselves, but because you're the one holding us. You're the one who's not going to let go of us. No matter how hard we try, how far away we walk, you got us. Jesus, thank you for coming in and pulling these arrows out when the enemy shoots them at us. Thank you that it's different than being connected to the old way of life. Jesus, we love you. We pray all these things 